What's up, everybody? Today, uh, got my buddy Dan. The first half, we talk about universal unity and oneness. Uh, second half, we talk about meditation mostly. There's a little bit about how it ties in with psychological disorders and how in Western medicine and stuff. Uh, but for the most part, just visualization, meditation, and then um, just me and Dan fucking about, really. Um, there's a part I was going to cut off before the break. Um, I, it keeps going, and I'm not going to cut that part out because it ended up being relevant conversation when I wasn't expecting that. So, yeah, enjoy it. Lots of stuff has happened since the last time we, we recorded one of these. I'm not really sure what I want to talk about. Let's um let's start with the whole universal oneness and all that stuff. Um just because I don't know, it's a trippy thing to talk about. Anything to say on that topic? <laughs> well it's uh it's interesting to to talk about it because as soon as you start talking about it you're gonna say something that messes it up mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know so uh i think that's at least important for listeners to understand is that we kind of got to try and get a whole picture from the conversation because any individual statement made about what's happening or what we think is happening anyway is going to be by by definition incomplete you know yeah and uh People like to think that they can cherry pick statements for philosophical debate. And it's kind of like, well, yeah, I didn't not say that. Right. <laughs> right. More like at that moment, I was talking about this aspect. So that's, it's just going to, that's a tricky one. But I think it's a, an important concept to have in our framework because without it, some of the stuff doesn't quite make sense. You know? Yeah, that's um I get exactly what you're saying. It's like uh in the Tao Te Ching where it's um where it's like the Tao that can be put into words is not the true eternal Tao. That's what they're talking about where the moment you start trying to talk about it, you're taking silence and nothingness is it in its complete form, right? And then the moment you take a word, your your a word's definition sort of acts as boundaries and borders and you're trying to talk about a thing that has no boundaries and borders, you're never going to be able to put it into words for that reason. You're always going to be cutting pieces of it out or distorting some of it to, to make it fit into a, a, a palatable sentence, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, and um, one of the things that you hear all the time in, in, in uh, Zen and some of the Buddhist stuff is that the, consciousness right is non-discriminatory yeah. but language and thought by definition is discriminatory it needs to be it has to be and and that's fine there's nothing wrong with that but if you're going to talk about something non-discriminatory indiscriminatory language of course you can't describe something non-discriminant with discrimination right yeah you know so it's an interesting point i think to find all of these mm -hmm. traditions Taoism the consciousness in Zen Buddhism and Raj, uh, and the Tibetan Buddhism specifically, you have Brahman and Vedanta, right? You had mm -hmm. like all of these different traditions kind of point to this. I've, I've actually been told that Allah in, in Islam is the same thing. One, he's oneness. Um, even the, 
the Christian, Judeo-Christian, Abrahamic conception that people think of is like an allegory to oneness. Um, that's why they say Jesus loves everything because, uh, because oneness. Sorry for cutting you off. Oh, no, you're right. That's exactly where I was going with it. So that worked out just fine. <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah. Um, and it's weird. Like, this is all sort of stuff that I first realized like a decade ago. I wrote it in that one story you read where it just finally hit me that everything is pure love energy that flows through all. And really, we're all of us are that. But then you see things that. Uh, sadism and people who are out to hurt each other and people who like pain and obviously those must be a part of it too right like yin yang type deal i think there's an, an important differentiation here so like a pain in itself is part of it right so we can describe it as being a state of loving bliss and and when we encounter it in whatever life experience we have where we where we see it for the first time or um, even in general you know deep meditative awareness is just deeply serene peaceful mm -hmm. I, I try to avoid using emotions for it simply because those things come and go you know yeah um but that sense of like deep serenity is pretty much always a part of it so and anyway the, the the integration of emotion into it is a very natural response but like you said it kind of creates this false identity as pure light or pure bliss or pure love which by again using words pulls us away from the fact that it's also pain and suffering and sadism and masochism and all of these other things like there's in no, order for it no to be light it must also be the darkness that the light is lighting up right and and it's all-encompassing there's nothing that is not this now the interesting thing though is as human beings our consciousness our our narrative story or our our thinking brain builds up concepts as we're conditioned in life and where we get so far gone is when those conditioned concepts in a way cover up or override or hide this connection that we have to the to this universal oneness mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i get and exactly so, what you're saying yeah and and so when we cause when we when we experience pain are we experiencing pain as part of the inextricable flow of life or are we experiencing pain as a function of suffering due to the causes and conditions of our egoic narrative yeah i get what you're saying i'm trying to think of a way to condense it down into to normal folk talk because um, <laughs> a lot of people are going to hear that and think it's a bunch of nonsense psychobabble and it's not oh fuck i just recorded facebook sounds i need to close facebook um but yeah so a lot of people um when they hear you use the terminology you just used to describe it, they uh, they think it's elitist and it, and it comes off wrong. So I try and condense things down into layman's terms, too, just so we have the message uh, on both ends, you know. Um, basically, we depend on 
drawing lines around things in order for us to function as an organism. Um, and so even though we're one, we are also human beings that need to draw these lines. And people, because everyone's drawing the lines and everyone has them and, we, and because they're necessary, people start to think they're real rather than being figments of our imagination that we use. And so those lines that we draw around everything, including ourselves, start to get in the way of us realizing that the lines aren't there. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Right. And you can go on in that and in the adventum, right? So like the lines aren't there, but they're actually there, right? Like my yeah. bound my personal boundaries are my personal boundaries and they're there. And for me they're real. Well but for me they're not because I'm a sociopath, but okay, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Huh? No. Okay. I kind of was just making a joke. I didn't mean to cut you off, but you were like, my personal boundaries are real. Part of my personality disorder is I don't see people's boundaries. So yeah, your boundaries are real to you. I, they're not real to me. Like that's literally part of the disorder. I'm trying to train myself to respect them, but I still don't think they're real. You get what I'm saying? And you're, and you're right. You know, in a way they're not real and all of society is based around functioning according to a, a respect for what people's boundaries are. Mm -hmm. Right. And and that's the part that you reject. Yep. Um, which, you know, in a way it's potentially more accurate, but it also doesn't it's destructive it's not to personal relationships. <laughs> yeah. It's destructive, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, so balancing all things. Yeah, and then it's weird because I don't respect anyone else's personal boundaries, but at the same time, I feel I have my own personal boundaries that I need to uphold. And so, like, I'll overstep someone's boundaries, right? And they'll stand up to defend themselves. And for some reason, my mind registers it as them, them standing up for themselves appears as an attack on me, even though... It, I would be pissed off in their shoes too. I don't ever think of that. And then, so then I blow down on them for standing up for themselves. It's, um, it's a weird, they call it cognitive distortion. What I see and how I process things isn't actually reality. And you said it is more accurate to say we don't have boundaries at all, but it's also, like you said, not quite accurate because we can make boundaries for ourselves and enforce them. So it's like, it's more accurate. Like I'm trying to think of the best way to say it is they're not there inherently, but we put them there. So they're there. Yes. And, and the interesting part that comes from that then is the more rigidly we adhere to them without putting them through a intellectual process or without really deeply thinking about them, the more likely they are to cause problems. Yes, indeed. So, you know, the, the whole Wu Wei thing, uh, the Taoist principle, a lot of the Zen stuff all, all comes down. A lot of the practices in general come down to kind of reining in the attachment to these boundaries and barriers so that we can see where they're appropriate and where they're inappropriate and when we can do that and we act in appropriateness and we attain this non-contention we can protect ourselves but also know when to bend 
Yes. We know how far to bend and not break, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it just smooths things out a lot. And for me, the the real benefit of the whole flow like water thing is I'm not I don't feel like I'm forced into conflict anymore. I used to force myself into conflict. I used to say, I don't want to fight right now, but because of this or this or that, I need to fight. And they're forcing my hand by what they're doing. They're making me do this. And so I would force myself into conflict. Now I can say, I can, like you said, um, I can see what's appropriate and what's not based on the situation and change myself to suit where I am at that moment rather than acting in a blanket, concrete way across the board. Boom. Well done. (laughs) Uh, I mean, you've helped me with that a lot, man. Um, I'm going to say, like, I had a pretty decent understanding. I would say I had realized Nirvana or whatever before you and I ever met, but just this last, what has it been now? Like five or six months since we met. Um, that right? I've come to, to develop an entirely new understanding of life. That's just so many levels higher than what I used to have. Um, and you've been a big part of that, man. Like, it's crazy. Like if you listen to that first podcast, you and I had only talked one time before that. Now me and you like talk every day and, we're like, I'm sure a lot of people out there see us as a little tag team duo now. <laughs> yeah, the Dan and Dave show, right? <laughs> yeah. That one that I said. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I'm I'm glad to hear that, you know, and and uh, I'm happy to have held up a light for you to find find your own because yeah. it's that embodiment, you know, it's that application that is really so critical. Yeah. Yeah, just being this and being what you are is what it's about. That's what a lot of people don't get is that, like, um, like I'm in this Advaita Vedanta um, study group because I heard Advaita was similar to Taoism in a lot of ways. Um, and so one thing I've noticed is people will come at me and say, well, this teaching says that, and this teacher did things this way, which means you need to do them that way, and you need to believe the thing that this teaching says at the same time. And I can look at the teaching and see the underlying point of the teaching and see how they're missing the point, but they'll never understand that they're missing the point if I try to explain it to them. So I just like, I don't even bother arguing, but I can tell that people are clinging too hard to this teacher and this teaching, and they're all looking for all these things outside themselves when the message is always get it from within you. Yeah. And it's um, like the emptiness that, of that, Dharma that you, you, in Zen. That's why I like Zen and Taoism is because they both openly teach that as schools of thought, they're useless. Maybe not useless, empty. Well, ultimately it's, it's almost the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Zen in particular will get kind of, you know, lashed in the Buddhist community because it'll it'll tell you that the the sutras are useless, right? Like the the core essential teachings are useless. Yeah. Well, they're only useless after you figured out what they mean. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like the it's this ever going process. Like, figure it out and apply it to your life. And then once you apply it to your life, you can't stay stuck on it. That's that's not where it's at. 
it, it's right here right now it's it's applying it here and so all of the intellect, intellectual framework that you put in place to begin taking this philosophy and applying it to your life leave that behind you don't need that anymore that's where that's where the analogy of the raft comes in yeah if you come if you come to a river you've heard this right if you come to a river and no, you need but to get I, I can see the river. point already um one, yeah. once you cross like, the river like you don't need the boat anymore yeah if somebody were to pick the raft up and carry it on their back for 100 miles you'd be like what the what are you doing like are you serious <laughs> the raft has served this purpose leave yeah. it back there you know that doesn't mean you didn't need it it doesn't make it useless it just means you don't need it anymore and then just because i like being the devil's advocate what if they come across another river and they need the raft again you already know how to build it ah <laughs> very good i like that answer <laughs> But yeah, I definitely get, as soon as she said the analogy of a raft, I had never heard it before, but I could already see where it was going to go. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's weird um, because I want to talk about it so listeners can sort of grasp it because I can never really put it into words. But I also know that the more we talk about it, the farther I'm going to lead them away from it if they put too much faith in what I'm saying. Yeah. And, then, you know, you can talk about it all day long and you'll hit bits and pieces of it. You know, you'll just end up going I, in circles, though. We do right. it a lot. Yeah. One of the things that I found, though, is, you know, sometimes this turn of phrase catches some person, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it. Oh, that's that's what they need to find their light. OK, well, say the exact same thing to another person. And they're like looking at you like you got lobsters calling out your ears but then you, you restate it another way two seconds later and it's it's the same thing in different words but for some reason it drives them wild the one way and scares them away another way and um exactly. yeah that ties into a lot of so at first in my little personality disorder recovery thing that i've been doing for the last year at first it was about identifying underlying issues and building um, a structured management plan that would work ad infinitum as long as I just kept doing the same thing over and over. Now I've got all of that in place. I, I understand the foundational problems and how, how to go about approaching them. Nowadays, my main thing that I find myself focusing on is learning how to communicate with people that's that's the the main that has been my main issue all along i see now the the original problems i had that started the original problem snowballing were communication errors and i didn't realize it at the time so learning how to more effectively communicate and how to understand who I'm talking to so I can talk to them in a way they prefer to be talked to. That's, um, that's my big issue today is just adjusting to the situation and communicating effectively. Sorry. I don't yeah. know. Like, I, I feel like whenever there's dead air like that, I feel like I've said something pointless. Yeah. yeah. I hear you, man. And, and it's, one of the things that I've found in my own little journey um, is that so often because of fear or anxiety or um, 
you know, however you want to phrase it, stressors, we stop communicating or we start projecting what we think about what people are saying onto what they're saying without confirming with them that that's actually what they're saying, right? Yeah, that's a big problem. And so we build, yeah, we build this world around all of these thoughts we have about what people say, shut ourselves down and we stop openly communicating. Yep. And, and for me, one of the most powerful things in this practice and, and in applying these things to life is that it broke my heart back open. Yeah. And now I can sit there and be totally vulnerable, you know, and say like, um, Thanksgiving, there was a good example on Thanksgiving. My mom was down and she just got a dog. And, uh, for her, her, this dog is extremely important. She had a dog for like 15 years who was kind of surrogate child and, and was, you know, really critical companion for her. And, uh, since her dog had died, she'd been engaging with us more. Right. And then the holidays came and just before the holidays, she got this dog. I was in the hospital because the dog, she couldn't come down and see me um, because of Thanksgiving now. Like, oh, this, mm. there's this dog and everything became about this dog again. Yeah. And there was this return to this previous state. And before she got the dog, I was like, Mom, I'm glad that you're getting another companion. But honestly, I'm a little bit concerned. I feel like we're we're taking steps in the right direction. And I'm like if this dog does what your old dog did, then there's going to be years where I don't see you because I can't bring my family to you because we have dogs or, you know, we have to bore them or you won't come to us because you have to stay home with your dog. So like we're that, I don't want that to happen again. Mm -hmm. And, and so after Thanksgiving, the next day, Friday, she was going to come over and spend the day with me and my family, hang out, you know, have dinner with us and do all these things. And then Thanksgiving evening, she comes up to me and she says, you know, with this dog and stuff, I think we're only going to be able to be at your house for a couple hours. And, you know, admittedly, like, yeah. without the history of it, you'd be like, okay, or whatever, you know. But, no, I, I have, I understand completely, but finish. Yeah. So, and in that moment, my young little Danny, you know, who mm -hmm. used to drive the bus, would just kind of shut down and be like, yeah, okay. And internally, I'm like really hurt. But my mom would never know. Cause I would just be like, yeah, okay. I, I understand you do what you got to do, you know? And like, if you try so and say I, something to her, she takes it as an insult. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I did, but I, I, I did, I opened my heart, I opened my vulnerable and I was like, mom, you know, that's really disappointing to hear. I was expecting that we were going to have all day together. You're going to spend time with my whole family. Well, I thought that we were going to say that the dogs were going like, to get to play together. So your dog could get some socialization. Like uh, I'm, I'm just really kind of, surprised to hear this you know so yeah, we go from you're gonna spend all day with my family to you're gonna sleep in in the morning come over around 11 be there until like one and then leave then that's a far cry from being there all day and making dinner and, and then doing all this stuff you know so like that's really disappointing and her initial response was quite aggressive you know mm -hmm. and uh and it was just extremely liberating to to face that trigger and communicate with an open, vulnerable heart, realizing that this heart can't be broken. And the end result ended up being quite lovely. We had a we had a better discussion about it. We we found out, you know, okay, this yeah, is really I'm what's going to need you after the podcast. I'm going to need to know exactly what you did. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's uh, it was so anyway. That was it was a it was a great it was a great moment where this practice kind of showed up in real life and uh and it 
it changed things. It allowed us to go from sure her just leaving and me being hurt and disappointed and and basically you didn't get the th- you didn't the fear you had of her leaving didn't happen, but she was also happy with the result. Yeah, yeah, and because but because of I stayed open even when she started to attack me mm-hmm. and 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 became totally vulnerable in that situation and was just communicative. It took the fire out of that and she was able to drop and she became vulnerable and we actually started really talking about what was going on. And so when we came to a solution, it was actually one that both of us agreed on and came to from our heart center, right? Which is kind of frou-frou talk, but that's just a quick way to say, you know, mutual compassion, right? Like really caring about what's happening in the other person and really wanting to figure out the best solution. Um, it, it, it was a good, it was a good result, you know, I, and my whole family's sitting in the, or we're all cleaning up after dinner and this is going on. And my wife is like standing next to me and she's like, Oh boy, here we go. And my sister is like, I saw them like exchange a quick glance, like, Shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> trust me, I know that feeling too, dude. And then it worked out, you know? So, um, it was, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's beautiful, one. man. That really is. And I can relate to that entire story and it, it's beautiful to me because it gives me hope that maybe I can have a similar moment someday. Um, Should it gives can? me uh, something really good. Cause we're at about the 25 minute mark. You know, I got to go out every 30 minutes to smoke or I'll die. But since I got to loop everything back to Taoism and I can't help it for, for some reason these days, uh, it reminded me of a quote. If, uh, if you give evil nothing to oppose, it goes away on its own. Well, that's what the story r- reminded me of. Yeah, no, it, and it's 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 beautiful, and in the vast majority of situations, it's true. Yeah, I mean, I'm just gonna stop the recording here. All right, guys. Um, so this is still intermission. I do these if you guys haven't listened to the podcast before. Um, just some thoughts on what we were talking about right before the break with Dan's mom and stuff. Uh, in the second half, I'm going to come back in and we're going to we talk about um, how I relate with that situation a lot. What I wanted to point out was what he called mutual compassion. And this is a really complicated subject because mutual compassion is different than just regular compassion. And when Buddhism is talking about compassion it's talking about mutual compassion compassion for both yourself and the other people you're interacting with um, equally don't you're not holding one over the other you're looking at them both equal that's mutual compassion and when both parties in one of those interactions have mutual compassion like that i i get what he's talking about with his mom so for this episode, the song is by, uh, it's a rapper, I guess. I don't really know much about this dude. My friend sent me one of his albums this morning and I listened to it and this song just happened to stand out to me. His name's Mad Child. The song is called Oxylude. It, it hit me so hard because it's actually a really, really, really accurate uh, portrayal of what heroin addiction, opiate addiction is like. And... um I don't know. You guys can be the judge. Oxycontin can quickly turn a casual user into a full-blown... That was the thing I was ready to give my life over to. Your entire body uh, 
harm will do anything. I didn't know that eventually would cause the destruction. It was a struggle every day. I needed them to, to get through my day. I was down at the Bahamas. Anyway, it was hell the whole time being there. You can't sit still. Massive amounts of withdrawal and realized right away what was addicted. I was ruining my career. My family, my life. It wasn't me. Getting high into my future. 
Probably not, a, not the best look. So again, that's Mad Child. The song was called Oxylude. Like if you mix Oxycontin and Interlude, Oxylude. So Mad Child, Oxylude. Enjoy the show, guys. So, fuck. Never mind. We're recording, but I can't. I'm trying to think of how to say this. You got time to play Counter-Strike after this, by the way? Probably not immediately after, um, but later today I might. We should definitely make a habit of that because my buddy Larry that I used to game with doesn't want to play Counter-Strike and I want to play Counter-Strike. Me and Larry will still <laughs> play Monster Hunter. One day I'd like to hear you two sit down and talk on one of these. Larry's awesome. Yeah, I'm down. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd like to get a little bit more regular gaming time. It's a, it's a nice little... Uh, it's a nice fun thing to do. So it's a I'm, release I'm, and it's 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 like there's no pressure to it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You just sit down, have some fun. Um, yeah, I like it. And then I also like it because it's like a, a skilled thing um that I can work at, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. even when I just play against my bots when I have five minutes, it it's uh-huh. it's a fun because it's just like yeah, and if you're yeah. still getting the feeling that you're satisfied playing with bots and you're enjoying it, I mean, go for it. But if you really want to get good, that's going to make it harder because it's going to make you learn bot behaviors as the way to play, as what to play around. And when you play against people, they're not going to play like bots at all. And so you're going to be playing around things that get you killed. Oh, yeah. I noticed that. I joined a live server and it was a very different world. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's still fun. It's super fun. But uh, I feel bad when I can't, like, when I know that I'm not going to be there for, like, a half hour, you know? And I'm just, like, yeah. going to hop in for, like, two well, rounds and then if, hop out. If oh. you do a casual match, that doesn't matter. No one's expecting you to stay. People do that all the time. It's oh, the competitive right. well, matches. Yeah, I would just do casual. Um, no one's going to be expecting you to stay. It's only the competitive where you're expected to stay the full duration and – I play both. Like I started out pubbing. Um, it would probably be better if you're going to play casual to do it with me, though, because um, I can, I can teach you to navigate it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So much for that three, two, one, huh? <laughs> um. All right. So yeah, your story that you told me about with your mom before the break, it. It resonated with me because I could see as you were going through it what what like the parts of the history you told me and the reactions you were having to it and like I could see that exact same thing playing out in my life a million other times before the the reason your your sisters or whatever were rolling their eyes right um, that it's the same way in my family where me and my mom have a very tense relationship me and my older brother too like. When me and my older brother are in the same room, our whole family is like what you were just talking about because every little thing, it'll be like, oh, God, it's this again, and those two are going at it. And so I could see it all playing out not only between you and your mom and me and my mom, but also me and my brother, me and people that I conflict with out in the real world. It's it's a similar conflict where 
All right, so say you're just like, Mom, I'm, when you had your dog before, I felt cut off from you and never saw you, and I'm afraid of losing you. And you just you just tell her that that's how you feel, and then she takes that as an as an insult. That happens with my mom all the time, and it devolves into these like three or four day long shit fights where I can't say anything to her without hearing something mean back. And yeah, man, it's uh, it's rough. Yeah, I'm sure most of my listeners, like a lot of people, have similar issues. I've come to find. Yeah. So I just wanted I wanted to give you a little commentary on your story or give the listeners some. I just uh, anything yeah, to say about that, or you want to get on the meditation, like I was saying? Well, we can we can. Um, I, I, the only quick thing that I have to that is is that when we when we do what we need to do, even if it doesn't work because I've done this before and it hasn't worked. Even when we do what we need to do and it doesn't work, we can still rest in it and know that we responded with our heart open. We grew up and we showed up and we are there and ready At to go. At least my side of the street is clean. That's what I've started doing. And like I don't that's I don't even tell my mom when she hurts my feelings anymore because she I know that's going to be taken as an attack. Um but at the same time, how much do I let slide, you know? Well, right. That's really important because if you also at the same time, if you don't tell her, a lot of times people don't know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so how do they how do they come to correct their behavior and reorient their relationship when they aren't aware of it? You know, so and if people aren't going to do the work to become aware of it and it's someone like your mother who is a deeply important person that you're not just going to not talk to ever again. My mom's like, like, if I lost my mom, I'd basically be alone in the world forever. They're, I'd never find a replacement for my mom and I'd never have anyone. There's no one close to my mom. Right. So, so that's not, that's not an option, you know? So it's, how do you, how do you balance that? Because uh-huh. it's extremely difficult to say, all right, well, I'm going to let this slide. I'm not going to let this slide. I'm going to have firm boundaries, even though that creates tension, you know, like I'd rather have the relationship. So I let things slide. And and you, and that's where you just gotta uh, trust in your meditative practice so that you can see clearly. Yeah. Segway. <laughs> and that's actually a really good segue because it it actually sets me up. Uh, most of Western psychology is lessons that you'll find in the Eastern Dharma, except it's in Westernized language that like cognitive behavioral therapy. It's just introspection and meditation. Uh, everything oh, about the stuff we were just talking about, uh, beliefs about our mother and our interactions, and how we look at things once they've all played out. And one of the things I've learned in CBT is in this discussion that we were just talking about, assertive communication, learning to express your boundaries, protect yourself without walking on others and setting them off. That's a very big part of what I go through these days. Meditation helps with that a lot because it helps you put yourself into a frame of reference where you can be objective and pragmatic and stuff. Absolutely. Um, So why don't you tell us more about like your meditation practice, how you go about it. Do you use different forms of meditation in along with the concentration meditation like 
everything, man. I want to hear it. Okay. Um, well, I'll just start talking, and if something comes up, just, uh, you know. Yep. You know say, me. I hey, have no problem um, shutting you down if I have a thought. All right. Good. Um, so to kind of start with it, I have I've been meditating since I was five as part of the martial arts. And in martial practice, the one of the first ones we learned was present moment of awareness, right? Following your breath, which is very similar to concentration meditation or the Soto Zen practice of just sitting, right? And, but also in that, we also practiced various forms of visualization um, that one, they enhanced concentration and focus, but also two, they were designed to increase our ability to perform successfully, right? Mm -hmm. So we did a lot of sports. I know exactly what you're talking about. What's that? Uh, trust I'll get to it after this, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Go ahead. Okay. So, um, so I started really young and had different kinds of combination of present moment awareness, concentration practice and visualization. And all of that was great. When I, came to practice Rinzai Zen in the hollow bones order, it was a really heavy emphasis all came on concentration meditation. And concentration meditation uses some singular point of focus to facilitate like, you know, I mean, a lightsaber's type of focus and concentration. I mean, it, it's like intense, like if you do not focus on this thing, you will die. Like, like focused will weigh just you're, I know, I know what you're talking about. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it can be anything, right? So in Rinzai, we use a lot of koans, which are signifiers of things that we're trying to under, or we're trying to not really trying to, but we're letting filter through our psyche until we have a meditative realization of whatever it is that we're working with. You can also do it with your breath. You can do it with a sense. I, I really like to that listen. a lot. Those little parables. Yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly that. You know, mm -hmm. so contemplating something, and and doing it so single-mindedly and bringing yourself back to that over and over and over again. So that's the concentration part. That's the formally called dharana, right? Mm -hmm. After that, you want to maintain the in, the intensity, but release the contraction. And that's when you get into meditative awareness. So you've stilled the mind, right? I've used the analogy of the pond where without meditation, it's like a pond in the rain. There's just little ripples all over the place. And if you chuck a big enough rock in, which is your dharana practice, your concentration practice, you get these big ripples that kind of like smooth everything out and stills the pond, right? And then once the ripples fade and the pond's just resting, then it can quietly reflect and you can truly obtain a meditative realization of whatever the pond is reflecting and a lot of times that rock that you throw in there is what ends up kind of priming the pump so to speak for your reflective awareness so when you're you know if you're like when you're using the Tao Te Ching and you re obtain a meditative insight into a parable that's kind of how and, that works and it'll start out I'll be it'll be going and I'll be contemplating it and I'm look I don't just jump to an interpretation I like I I I, I look at all the possible different interpretations and see what fits the the character of Lao Tzu the most. Um, and so that's how I, and then it, it'll be going and I'll be thinking about it. And then there's a moment where it just hits me and I'm like, oh, this is it. 
this is I know this is the one and then it's sort of I mean it's what you're saying you know what I'm saying but I'm not going to be able to say that the way the listeners can say you get he, understand you you get what I mean yeah yeah and uh, tell me if you've had this experience um because this is this is the oh, oh that actually there was an experience where it, a bunch of them I can think of from my memory that I wanted to tell you about I remember one time I used to play Counter-Strike back when I was in high school. I played Counter-Strike. That was like my life from when I was like 14 up until I was like 18 or 19, right? Mm -hmm. um, it was just like, you know how some kids want to be rappers and they get real into it because they're kids and that's what we do when we're kids. My thing was Counter-Strike. And I remember one time I went to this land tournament in Virginia called, it was like the East, ECL, East Coast Land Back in the day, professional Counter-Strike players used to play in this big tournament called the CPL. Um, and to get into that tournament, we had to first win this ECL tournament. And I remember while I was at the LAN, it was like this three-day thing. We played two matches a day at the LAN, and we were still there all weekend. So there was a lot of other gaming that went down. Um I remember I was in one of the just free land playing with the regular people and it just suddenly clicked that like, like you said, you get focused on a point. The problem that I used to do back then before this thing clicked with me was I would focus on that point and then filter everything else to gain that focus. I wouldn't actually expand my concentration at all. I'd just start bypassing and filtering without real filtering without filtering like i'm not actually blocking it out but i'm not taking it in either you get what i'm saying yep um and then one day i realized i was doing that and i let down that secondary filter that i didn't notice either and just let it all just i didn't move my mouse and aim i was my aim you get what i'm saying yep and that's when it first clicked with me yeah, that, and that's exactly it, right? So you dropped from Tarana, which is that focus with a filter, to Tiana, where you have the same level of focus, but now you're you're able to simultaneously perceive all of your perceptions. Mm -hmm. And so you're acting naturally and spontaneously, even though it's very intentional. Mm -hmm. Right? And that's very similar to Wu Wei and Da, right? in yeah. the Taoist tradition. It's it's basically, and as far as I can tell, there's not really a lot of difference between any of these practices yeah. in the martial arts, right? Um, the way that I describe this to my students is you need to have single pointed focus when you're, when you're going to combat a situation because otherwise you're going to get messed up. Mm -hmm. But you need to also at the same time be completely aware of everything that's going on, right? So you have this, this concentration that's completely pure and intense, but it's a concentration without a focal point. And within that concentration, you can move your focal point as necessary to deal with the appropriate threat. Mm. I, and, that and, makes very, very, very good sense to me, but that's really, you have to be deep into it to understand exactly what you mean. I hate that. Um, experience. I can tell you, I can tell you if the water's hot or cold, but you'll never know till you drink it. Mm -hmm. No, it's I, I get exactly what you're talking about because so I came to most of these understandings through Counter-Strike the way um, the way you came to it through martial arts. Uh, but I kind of learned on my own because there was it's not like 
like I was the first generation that had video games, you know, to use right. the way I was using them. Um, we used to have this, me and my buddy Craig, we used to have this mystical thing we talked about called being in the zone where our plays were just better and our reactions were just quicker and better decisions every time that did way more. And we just, we could never explain it being in the zone. And like the first time I experienced it, I was just told you about, I was at the land. It, I came to it through counter-strike and just the, the lessons I learned in counter-strike. You have the one point your crosshair. Most people don't realize even when there's no bad guy on your screen, you're supposed to be focused on that and aiming it on the first place. The bad guy is going to be able to appear. Like there's a point on your screen. The bad guy can only come from this pixel. And you have to, that will be the first pixel they come out at, or most likely pixel if in some cases, especially when you're pushing. But so you're focused on that point. But at the same time, the person that you're focused on, where they could be, there's still like, say there's three entrances in the room, someone could come from those. And so you have to be listening for flanks and other little noises that tip you off to someone being behind you. And so it's like you said, and so the first time I, I experienced it, I was at this land. And so I'm, I, I was focused, but I just, I moved free, man. I moved free. Uh, yeah. And, and what meditation does, what a regular meditation practice does along with, and this is really important along with applying that to small areas of your of your life allows you to carry that through your day-to-day -day activity so you maintain this sense of awareness of, yeah you maintain this pure selfless awareness you maintain this this relaxed focus right this intensely relaxed focus or whatever you want to call it uh -huh. uh, <laughs> um, what they call through, it yeah <laughs> through through your interpersonal relationships through your day-to-day uh -huh. -day life Yep. And and so that's the process. That's concentration meditation. Um, and, and it's not about sitting there doing it on a cushion. We have this vehicle for it, you know, because that's been a time-honored way to do it. And millions mm -hmm. and millions of people have figured it out because they sit down and quiet and 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 not just in it. buddhism like these practices of meditation and introspection uh, in aa like aa is a sort the 12 step addiction mm -hmm. programs aana it's a sort of pseudo spirituality and meditation is a big part of that it's all over what, yep. what is prayer up oh, yep 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 and even like monks were meant like were were they weren't calling it that they were calling it studying, but the, it was a form of meditation, absorption and retention. Um, what I've come to notice, though, a lot of what we're calling it's only meditation because we're aware we're doing it and we're doing it consciously. People are doing it either way. Yeah. This mind does not come and go. Yeah. It's always there. Right. And it's just r really everyone has a point in their life or something that they do where they feel it to some extent. That's why we end up having the hobbies that we do because that's the place where we feel it, mm -hmm. you know? And it's a um, part of their day-to-day -day life that they connect with it and go through it. Yeah. And there are plenty of times that we're unconsciously 
doing it. And the the thing is to, to bring this it day, to even work. now that I'm like I'm aware of the situation now, it still happens where I lose sight of things and don't realize it until after it happens. You know. Yep. Yeah. Um, and that's that's something that I think is really important is that people there is no one in the world that has a fully functioning physiological system that cannot do this. Like I this said, not, we actually, our bodies are basically dependent on us doing it. That's why people do it even when they don't know it. Yeah. And, and, and it's just, it's simply the, well, it's not simple, but it is simple. It's simply the process of bringing that through your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that when the crap hits the fan, you're right here. Yeah. Yeah. And um, what am I trying to say? Oh, so like I said, people do it no matter what. I guess uh, I should give examples of that because my whole life I was doing it and just I didn't I wasn't fully aware of it. I became aware of me doing it, but it's only now looking back that I become aware that I was always doing it. You get what I'm saying? Like, so there's like enlightenment and then there's enlightenment that you and everyone else were already enlightened from the start, like a secondary enlightenment, you know? Um, Can you say that again? So there is enlightenment and then there's a secondary enlightenment. Where are you, where are you saying with that? You become aware. Okay. So there's, uh, I've made the realization and then there's, I've known this all along. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, it's yeah, two separate realize, realizations. When you've... If for at least for me it was. Terms, what? If we put that in Zen terms, it's you've always had your boot nature. And then you realize that you've always had your boot nature. Mm-hmm. That's why enlightenment is So you, you really discover your boot nature. And you start becoming one with it. And then once you really start to get familiar with being in that state. Oh, I was always in touch with it all along. I just didn't know it. Yeah. And then you get the joke like, wait, dude, is that the Lotus joke? <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Oh, I was, I, I get it now, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I get it. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so people do it, say you're sitting, waiting on the bus. People just slip into it and start, they slip into their mind and don't realize it. And then they're just like, oh, how did 10 minutes just pass? Um, and they were really there for that whole 10 minutes, you know. And that stuff internalizes whether they know it or not. Um, and so that's how people are doing, sitting, doing these meditations and doing... Well, why don't you explain different forms of meditation? You said you do visualization and all this other stuff when you were growing up. Um, I understand the difference, but I have trouble explaining it. Uh, but so concentration meditation, you're focused on the singular point while still trying to remain mindful. Visualization, you're trying to picture something, lots of different things, and it could be for different reasons what you picture, correct? Correct, yeah. So um, there, there are... I would say that there's probably two main ones that I still do on a regular basis. One is I visualize um, effectively performing martial arts, right? So like I will visualize an attack coming and I will visualize a response to that attack. 
And we've known forever in sports psychology that if you, like in golf, you visualize your shot, you're more likely to make your shot. In basketball, you visualize it going in, you're more likely to make the basket, right? Mm -hmm. So this is something that's true. And over time, science has come to collaborate it. And what's actually happening with intense enough visualization is you are activating the same uh, nervous system processes as practicing, as performing the function. So when you have highly uh, specific visualizations that are accurate, you're, you are training your body to perform that action. Yeah, as long as, as assuming the, the action is doable. Correct. Yeah, you can't visualize yourself to flying, right? I mean, that's not mm-hmm. going to happen. That, that, um, I just I wanted to make that distinction because uh, remember that one guy that thought he could yeah. fix glitches in the matrix and stuff. Yeah, I I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, no, this is still very pragmatic. You know, it's about visualizing, performing specific functions that are already physically capable, right? Um, and in some cases, we people have used it for healing. So you know, there is that too. You know, visualizing walking for people who have suffered a spine injury helps them eventually learn to walk again, right? So there, there's there's that too, but that's a different category of thing. Um, so that's that's probably the a big one that I think everyone can benefit from, you know. And and this is part of our emotional koan work in the hollow bones practice. I visualize responding to things that trigger my perfectionism, my unlovable uh narrative um shutting down disconnecting visualize these triggers very specifically and mentally rehearse responses to them catching the reactivity before it happens dropping and choosing to respond so this visualization practice uh is also how we start bringing this into the more troublesome areas of our life so that in the end this angst this suffering this pain this trigger becomes a form of practice and liberation right so visual visualization is part of the hollow bones zen practice in that in that aspect all right um why don't you walk me through a baseline if I'm going to do a visualization meditation? What do I do? So, uh, generally, you want to mm-hmm. do a general one or yeah, just a real general, like as short as you can make it, just so people know what we're talking about. Okay, so if I'm going to do a visualization meditation, the first thing that I do before I begin is specifically define a a circumstance, right? So um, my my mom with the dog, I did it with my mom with the dog. (laughs) We'll use that one. So I sat, my mom told me she's getting a new dog. I knew that stuff was going to come up around this dog. So I would sit and I would say, all right, mom got a new dog. This dog is going to become her kid. And that's going to kind of change how she relates to us. Let's visualize different scenarios that are going to come up. For this particular scenario, let's visualize how uh, she won't, or how we won't be able to go up there with our dogs, and the conversations around that that are hurtful and frustrating because she doesn't want her dog to be uncomfortable in her own house. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then we sit. We sit very specifically, and we say, "We we visualize our mother's voice, mm-hmm. make it as real as possible." Well, you know, I just don't know how the dogs are going to behave while they're here. And so I think it's best if you don't bring yours. Mm -hmm. Right. And then we visually 
or and, and we embrace the physical sensation of the emotional response to that and we recognize it and and to the best of our ability we follow it down to its core and we understand that there's fear oh my god mom's abandoning me in favor of her dog i'm less important to her than her dog right yep yep uh, there's sadness like how can that be true oh my god i just love you mom i just want to spend time with you and deep caring like my relationship with my mother is extremely important in mm -hmm. spite of all of this and this fear and sadness right so i'm going to respond from this deep caring i'm going to say mom are you are you sure there's nothing we can do i mean that really hurts to know that we can't come up and spend the night and we're gonna have to spend you know a hundred bucks to board the dogs you know we don't have that that means that we basically can't come you know and is that really what we're gonna do can we figure something out why can't our dogs get along right and and that's not maybe not necessarily the best dialogue to practice <laughs> on the spot here but that's kind of how it would go and then you sit and then you maybe take 10 deep breaths and you reset yourself so you you set up the trigger you visualize your response to the trigger you you identify the emotions that come with the trigger then you visualize stopping the reactivity and choosing a better response and you go through that process then you reset and maybe you do some present moment awareness, you smell your incense, you listen to your music, you do whatever, you you watch 10 breaths, and then you do it again, and then you do it again, and then you do it again. It's quite literally it a rewording of cognitive behavioral therapy. Yes. that it. When, when I started doing this, my wife's a clinical social worker, and she's like, isn't that just CBT? Yeah, it like, is. Functionally, yeah. <laughs> it's a different wording of it with a slightly... Like I said, Western psychology is just this stuff reworded into Western terms, scientific terms. Yeah. The only thing that I will say about what I've understood of CBT, and I haven't gone nearly as far into the, it. A lot of their underlying presumptions about how things should work are not in line with how I feel. I know that much, but... It's and, a good, it it's a good underlying philosophy, and I see why it is the way it is in terms of what be, to, because it's designed to help people function with society. Um, yeah, it, and that's that's what I was gonna. It's very high level functioning, right? Whereas Zen will take you deep, deep, deep into this place and t put you in touch with this. This. That's what I mean. Where it doesn't go well with my Taoist, just woo way it and let yeah. it be and let it be. You know. It's, it's a it's a great practice cbt is a very functional yeah. and a great start nothing to disparage it but i think that if there is a difference that's where it is mm -hmm. i get exactly what you're saying and i'm not I'm not saying any way is better than wor better or worse like i mostly talk about my way of doing things but not because i want people to do things my way it's more that i can't tell them how they should do their way and i don't really know enough to speak right. from someone else's frame of reference so i tell people what i do and if a part of it sounds good to them they can pick it up and take it and make it part of their life and if a part of them doesn't sound good they can also not take it and i just hope someone finds a piece of it that they can use is all you know i hear you yeah well if i say something that helps somebody <laughs> Yeah, and I'm not telling anyone what to do. I'm not in the business of doing that. No. Um, well, this has been a really good episode. I guess another way, I want to give a different example of that visualization. So it can also be done, because a lot of people, when it's about the emotional aspect of it like that, they don't 
they don't click with it quite as well because they don't like analyzing their own emotions that way. Um, right. It's an advanced practice. Mm-hmm. Another way to look at it, say I'm playing Counter-Strike, right? Because like you were relating it to basketball, shooting the shot. Like in a basketball player's mind, Steph Curry shoots amazing three-pointers and shit, right? Mm -hmm. I know for a fact that when Steph, every time Steph Curry shoots, that ball left his hand in his head before it left his hand for me. You get what I'm saying? Absolutely. Um, And Counter-Strike, it's the same way. Like, you know Counter-Strike, right? On Dust 2, there's the tunnel on the left side of the map that takes you to Bombsite B. Like, if you're looking at it from the terrorist end. Say you're coming out of that tunnel into Bombsite B. Visualize that moment where, as my crosshair goes across right to or from the left and then I'm moving right, like, what are all the spots that his head could be could be at if he's standing there waiting to shoot me in the face as soon as I come out and you scan across left to right like that and you just picture going through that scan and hitting everything on your way through and then you peek and that's how you take a bomb site and you visualize that doing that going through it all the things that could happen what will likely happen what will happen if that doesn't happen and not really so much planning, but just knowing what you'll do in all situations. Yeah. All right. So that's visualization. We got concentration meditation. This was a real dope episode, dude. You got anything you want to say before we go? Uh, hey, I, the only thing that I would say left about meditation practice that I think people might need to hear is that just do it. Even if you just do one minute a day, right? Find a time to just start because that right now, if before they listened to this podcast, they didn't have any time. They didn't have anything they were doing, obviously, because I know none of them are obligated to watch me. So if they had time to do this uh, next time, you're just sitting there trying to kill time. It's a great way to kill time. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, for example, just wait, 30 seconds before you pick up your phone to scroll Facebook when a commercial comes on. You're at the dentist and you got 15 minutes to wait till they call you and you're sitting in the lobby alone. Just fuck it. You got 10 minutes of meditation right there. Right there. You know, so it shows up all the time in our lives and it's a, it's a easy thing to start doing when we realize that it doesn't have to be a lot in a formal setting with this and with this and perfectly silent and that's what I see a lot of people when they talk to me about meditation, they're like, Oh, it's just all so rigid and blah, 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 blah. I don't mean to mock them with the blah, blah, blah. It's just, that so many complaints that I have about doing things that way. Um, and it doesn't need to be done that way. The people who told them it had to be absolutely all those things. I see why those people do things that way, but that's not the only way to do things. Right. Exactly. And, and yeah, there's a benefit. And I also do that too. Exactly. And, and that's the trick, but just start. It doesn't have to be that way for now. Just start. (laughs) Yeah. Whatever way is most comfortable and makes the most sense to you. Just find what makes the most sense to you and do that. Um, with of course, right intention and right focus and right understanding and all the Buddhist stuff that goes along with that. But you know. Have a good one, guys. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thank you. That's the show, guys. I hope you enjoyed that. I thought this was 
the be- of the three episodes I recorded with Dan, I'm the happiest with this one already. Um, a little thing when we, we talked about meditation a bit, I talk about Wu Wei and Tao. It's a principle in Taoism that ended up in at least the Taoism essay, but it's definitely in. It's a principle that I repeat a lot, even if I don't use the words Wu Wei. The thing is, I always have trouble fully getting people to grasp what it is. And this little meditation chat kind of brought something to mind that I might try that might make sense to people. So your body has these kind of idle process subroutines it runs. Um, when people say they're they're at, they're roboting and they're just going through their days mechanically, that idle process. Wu Wei is being is letting yourself do that idle process while also being consciously aware and in control of it at the same time. And that meditative state is basically at the end of a med a concentration meditation practice. That meditative state Dan talks about. It is oneness with that roboting um, mechanism that we all have. And so Wu Wei is it, to be able to do the thing that I'm talking about when I say Wu Wei, you need to have met the made that oneness in meditation and become consciously aware of that underlying subroutine. And then, like I said, Wu Wei is just going about your day with it. I'm like I said, being consciously aware of it and active in its functioning while still being robot mode, I guess, is the best I can do. Um, I always got to put that with the disclaimer that I have no fucking clue what I'm talking about when it comes to Taoism. And basically, I have, I've taken the aesthetic of Taoism and imagined my own things onto the words. Because um, that's what you do with the Tao Te Ching is you read it and then imagine your own thing onto the words. Anyway, I guess that's about it, guys. Thanks for listening. And when you wake up, everything's gonna be fine. I guarantee that you wake in a better place and in a better time.